Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 47. The Bible says, beginning in verse 41, They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Lest, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were looking on to see where he was laid. Today the cross is a symbol. You see pictures of crosses, statues of crosses, figures of crosses. You see crosses displayed on cars, on signs in people's yards. Crosses are worn around the neck, 
Sometimes they're even tattooed on the arm. Yet unlike today, during biblical times, the cross was a despised symbol. Back then, you wouldn't dare display a cross the way you display a cross today. Back then, the cross was a symbol of death. The cross represented execution, torture, shame, and reproach. Crucifixion was the primary means of torture and execution of the Romans. It was the most horrific way to die. And the Romans, they were experts at performing executions. Jesus' crucifixion is recorded in each of the four Gospels. As you've already seen and we've witnessed in Mark's Gospel, the events leading up to where we are today were no doubt horrific events. They're events that we can't even really wrap our minds around. Just the scourging that Jesus endured. The torture that he bore. He was literally beaten to death before being forced to carry the crossbeam to the crucifixion site. And that's exactly where we pick up today in the text before us. Jesus is now heading to the cross. There's nothing else that stands in the way of Jesus going to the cross. It's the old rugged cross where Jesus would die for you. He would die for me. And When I think about this, I'm reminded of an old song by the Tally Trio simply entitled, His Life for Mine. Listen to these lyrics. His life for mine, His life for mine, how could it ever be that he would die, God's son would die, to save a wretch like me. What love divine, he gave his life for mine. That's the title of my message this morning, his life for mine. So for the next few moments, as we examine the crucifixion of Jesus, I simply want to draw your attention to the events that took place that day. And what I want to ask you to do this morning is not just to sit there and take notes. If you choose to do that, that's fine. But what I want you to do is I want you to position yourself right here in the story. I want you to think for a moment that you're standing right there as these events unfold. Because the reality is, whether you realize it or not, you are a part of the story. You are, to, are a part of history, which history is nothing more than his story. And you play a role in that. Because the reality is, you either accept Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on Calvary's cross, or you choose to live life the way that you desire to live life. It's my prayer this morning that if you've not yet said yes to Jesus, there's never been a time in your life that you've repented of your sins and trusted Jesus with your life, I pray to God today that you will trust Jesus as Savior. And if you have trusted Jesus, I pray that this will be a good reminder as we enter this Thanksgiving week of what you really have to be thankful for. If you're taking notes, I want you to notice first the third hour. The third hour, God's appointed time. Don't miss the timing of this event. We read in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul writing there tells us, When the fullness of time came, 
This is the fullness of time that Paul speaks of. Jesus was born of a woman. He was born under the law. But Jesus was sent that he might redeem those who were under the law. That is you and that is me. That we might receive the adoption as sons. So Jesus didn't just go to the cross one minute before or one minute after. No, Jesus went to the cross at the appointed time. God created the heavens. God created the earth. God created mortal man. God created you. God is sovereign. God is in control. And as we read the text, as we look at the details, it's really difficult for us to come to this conclusion. Because nearly everything in the account before us seems to be controlled by mortal man. It seems that man is running the show in the text that I just read. But nothing could be further from the truth. You see, mortal man did not take Jesus' life. He freely gave his life. He willingly gave his life. As a matter of fact, Jesus said these words in John 10. He said, I laid down my life so that I might take it again. No one has taken it from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. You see, Jesus, as he was hanging on that cross, he could have called a legion of angels to rescue him. Some 6,000 angels, yet Jesus willingly chose to die for you. Due to the unbearable torture, the immense, immense pain of, of, of being crucified, of being scourged leading up to that, even Jesus bearing that cross was more than he could do in his humanity. And what we learn from the text here is there's a man named Simon of Cyrene that was actually called from the crowd to bear the cross of Jesus. I want you to think about what his life must have been like. To think of the fact that he was the one that bore that cross for Jesus. You say, well, how is that relevant for me today, preacher? What's the significance today? Well, as believers, you and I have been called to bear the cross. We've read about that in Mark chapter 8. That we're to take up our cross daily. That you and I are to deny ourselves. And that we are to follow Jesus. As you think about Simon bearing the cross. Are you bearing your cross for Jesus? Are you denying Jesus each day? Or are you taking up your cross and following Jesus? You see, if you're not yet a Christian, that begins by trusting in Jesus and the sacrifice that he would make here on Calvary's cross. And if you have trusted Jesus, are you bearing your cross? Notice also the location, verse 22. They brought him to the place Golgotha, which is also translated the place of the skull. The picture that you see there on the display is known as Gordon's Calvary. On my trip to Israel back in 2015, we were able to go to Gordon's Calvary. And you can't really make it out in that picture there because of deterioration. But beforehand, years ago, you were able to look at that and it looked like a skull with two eye sockets 
You could see the bridge of the nose, which I think is broken off in this picture, but you could make that out by looking at that picture. Now, this is one of the traditional sites believed to be the place where Jesus was crucified, the place of the skull. Upon arriving at this crucifixion site, Jesus was manhandled. He was placed on the cross, which lay on the ground. His arms were outstretched. Then the soldiers took nails, and they drove the nails in his hands. And then in his feet, Jesus. Jesus was fastened to the cross. The cross was then lifted, erected, set in the ground. He was left there to hang, to die an agonizing death. And though it was more than enough torture, the ruthless onlookers, put yourself in the story. You're there the day that this has taken place. You are, you are an onlooker. You are, you are watching the events unfold. And as you watch, like these folks watched that day, he, he's left to, to hang and to die. And, and the abuse doesn't stop there. They continue to hurl accusations at him, verbal accusations. They even created a sign and nailed the sign to the cross that said, The King of the Jews. Nothing more than humiliation and mockery. And then if that wasn't enough, the Bible says that they divided his garments and they cast lots for them. Blood-stained garments. To them it was nothing more than a game. They were experts at crucifixion. Yet it was God's plan. God's divine plan. Write this down, Psalm 22. We see what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 22 fulfilled in what takes place here in the life of Jesus. Listen to what the psalmist said. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaw, and you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Rolling dice. Drawing straws. Which one of us is going to get the, the garments of Jesus? It's all a game. The mockery. The insults. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. Hey, he saved others. He can't even save himself. But guess what? Guess what? He didn't come down from the cross. And I don't know about you today, but I'm thankful that he didn't. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't come down from the cross? That Jesus hung there on Calvary's cross, enduring the pain and the suffering. Yet to them it was nothing more than a joke. It's no different today. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. People today laugh at Jesus. They mock Jesus. They hurl abuse at Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. Perhaps that's you. Maybe you're watching online, you just scroll through Facebook or YouTube and you say, Hey preacher, that's me. 
Or you think about your life and a time in your life when that used to be you, but praise God, it's not anymore. You know what I'm talking about. People today hurl abuse and insult at Jesus, but praise God that the Spirit of God still works in the hearts and the lives of people, and the Spirit of God opens blinded eyes to the truth. You see, many people today think that Christianity is nothing more than foolishness. I got better things to do than to go sit on a pew at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Why in the world are people doing that? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I'll tell you why. Because the Spirit of God's grabbed a hold of their lives. Psalm 14 says that the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the word of the cross, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the gift of God. It was the third hour. The Bible says they crucified him. But notice, secondly, the sixth hour. Three hours later, verse 33 says, When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. For a period of three hours, from noon until 3 p.m., there was complete and total darkness. It'd be like us walking out the door at noon and looking around, and it being like it's midnight outside. Pitch dark. John Phillips explains what happened here well. Listen to this and I quote. At high noon the sun went out. Darkness reigned from Dan to Beersheba. From the river to the sea in every city and town. And hamlet in every vale and on every hill. People crept about their homes thinking that the end of the world had come. The work of creation was done in the light. The work of redemption was done in the dark. And how great and awful was that darkness. It was a darkness like that which blanketed Egypt. A darkness that could be felt. A darkness that, which was overwhelming. It overwhelmed Abraham. The horror of the great darkness. The darkness lasted until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The time of the evening sacrifice. Don't miss that. It's dark until time for the sacrifice to be offered. Luke explains to us in his gospel that the sun was obscure. The, the S-U-N that was putting off sun became darkened so that all eyes were focused on the S-O-N. All eyes were focused on the man on the cross. All eyes were focused on Jesus. And creation itself was aware that something Something miraculous was about to take place. It was the sixth hour. Notice thirdly, the ninth hour. The ninth hour. Verse 34 says, at the ninth hour, that is when Jesus cried out. You see, when Jesus cried out from Calvary's cross, Mark doesn't record it here, but listen to this. Jesus also said to them, those who were crucifying him, those who were mocking and insulting him, 
to you and to me today, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he cried out here, I want you to put yourself in this situation, put yourself in this event, and, and what unfolded that day, the weight of the world's sins, don't miss that, the weight of the entire world's sins, past, present, and future, were placed on the back of Jesus. Visualize that. Jesus hanging on the cross and the sins of the entire world placed upon His back. The one who was sinless. Theologically, this is known as the penal substitute. Listen to how Wayne Grudem explains it. And I quote, Jesus bore the guilt of our sins alone. God the Father, the mighty Creator, the Lord of the universe poured out on Jesus the fury of His wrath. Jesus became the object of intense hatred of sin and vengeance against sin that God had patiently stored up since the beginning of the world. And, and today we like to say, well, well, God is a loving God and if everybody would just love and love and love, the world would be a better place. No, it wouldn't. As Adrian Rogers said, it would be a better place to go to hell from because love is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And through Jesus, you see the very love of God. Grudem goes on to state that Jesus is our sacrifice. He paid the penalty of death that you deserve to pay because of your sins. He is our propitiation. In other words, He satisfies the wrath of God. Jesus He's our reconciliation in order to overcome the separation that you and I have as a result of sin. I like to think of it this way. You're on this side, God's on this side, and there's a great gulf in between. You can't get from this side to this side, and Jesus hanging on the cross, He bridged that gap. He is our reconciliation. He's the only one that draws us back to God the Father. He's also our redemption. As sinners, we're in bondage to sin. And we need to be not only reconciled, but redeemed. And the penalty that Jesus paid is what God accepted as the sacrifice. You see, during this hour, the ninth hour, all hope seemed lost. Man, if, if you could have seen the devil that day, I bet he would have said, Hey, everybody, we're having a party at my house. Come on over, we're going to celebrate. It's going to be a good day because Jesus has just died. Not going to have to deal with him anymore. It's all over. But then we come to verse 38. Look at this. This is what takes place that is miraculous. Mark says that the veil of the temple was torn or, or rent in two from top to bottom. What in the world does this mean and, and what is its significance? Well, inside the temple during Old Testament times you had what is known as the veil, the veil of the temple. Listen to how the Bible describes this in Exodus 26, verses 31 through 33. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, their hooks also being of gold, on four sockets of silver, you shall hang up the veil under the clasp and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. 
And the veil shall serve, listen to this, for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. Don't miss this. In the Old Testament, the high priest would enter the temple once a year. He would go into the holy place, and then he would step into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God to make atonement not only for his sins, but for the sins of the people. Significant event in the Old Testament. And the veil separated the sanctuary or the holy place from the holy of holies. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing now that you don't have to go before a priest to have access to God. You have direct access to God through the person of Jesus. That's good news today. The writer of Hebrews explains it this way. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly, time and time again, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Aren't you thankful this morning that you didn't have to get your pigeons and your lambs and bring them in here with you to church to sacrifice them? Bloodshed. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sins. You say, preacher, I'm, I'm glad. I am so glad that I didn't have to bring a sacrifice today. That's not, that's not really what I said. You didn't have to bring those things as a sacrifice. You had to bring a sacrifice. Oh, yeah, you did. And I did, too. What, what is the sacrifice? Romans 12, 1 and 2. That you are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Hmm. Someone once said the problem with a living sacrifice is it has a tendency to crawl off of the altar. We're talking about the once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus willingly laid down His life for you that you would trust Him and willingly lay down your life for Him. His life for mine. Notice fourthly, the evening. The evening. I want you to imagine what it must have been like as Jesus breathed His last breath. Those who had followed him were, were onlookers. They, they, they were watching what was taking place. The Bible tells us who those individuals were in verse 40 and 41. They, they were watching. They'd been with him in Galilee. They had followed him. They had ministered to him. They had ministered with him. A lot of those were, were ladies that were doing that. And they've watched these events unfold. They've seen with their own eyes the horrific death of Jesus and imagine the emotions and, and what's going through their minds perhaps some of them thought like Peter I mean we may be next they may be coming after us next because we named the name of Jesus we associated with him but Mark tells us here of another gentleman we're introduced to another gentleman that we haven't really seen yet in Mark's gospel we're introduced to a man named Joseph. The Bible says that 
He's Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea was located about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So not too, too far north, but he had come down to Jerusalem. There's some interesting things to note about Joseph. Now, we know that Joseph, uh, that Jesus' earthly father, Mary's husband, was named Joseph, but that's not this Joseph. This is Joseph from Arimathea. And he played an important role. He's also mentioned in the four Gospels. What Joseph of Arimathea did is he took ownership of the body of Christ. I'll step up. I'll see that he gets a proper burial. So what do we note about Joseph of Arimathea? A couple of things if you're taking notes. Number one, he was a prominent member of the council. The council. Did you catch that? What council? The council that we've been studying throughout the Sanhedrin. The 71-member council. This man, Joseph, was a member of the ruling body of the nation. The nation that cried out for Jesus' death. Those that were searching high and low to destroy him. But we also note from Luke's gospel, and that's one of the things I love about the gospels, it's kind of like this. You say, well, you read one of the gospels, and the gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read one of the gospels, and you see some things that you don't necessarily see in another. It's kind of like this. You ever witness an accident take place on the highway? I mean, you're right behind the accident. You're a witness. You've written down the things that you've noted, but, but somebody else watches the event. They're standing on the street over here, and they see it happening. And, and as the officers come by to, to, to get their witnesses, they'll give a, a testimony as well. And then there's somebody that's standing in front of the accident. They're, they're all seeing it from a different perspective. And that's what we've got to keep in mind when we study the Gospels. Now, Luke tells us in his Gospel that Joseph was a good and a righteous man. Matthew tells some other interesting facts. He says that this man Joseph from Arimathea, he was a rich man. And he had become a disciple of Jesus. Hold on, hold on. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. They killed Jesus. And this man was a member of, of the Sanhedrin? Yes. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. So Joseph, although he was a secret follower of Jesus, and you can only imagine what that must have been like for Joseph during this time, he requested the body of Jesus from Pilate. He had the boldness and the courage to go before Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. And the body of Jesus was given to Joseph. And then we see that Joseph wrapped Jesus in a linen cloth, laid him in a tomb, and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Well, that's good to know, preacher. I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out this morning. What in the world does that have to do with me? This is what it has to do. Notice fifth and finally today. We've looked at the events that took place that day. The third hour, sixth hour, the ninth hour, the evening. And now let's focus on the day for a moment. Go back in your Bibles to verse 39. Verse 39. What is the application? What is, what is, uh, what is and how is this relevant for today? Verse 39. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him, 
saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. I ask you at the beginning to put yourself in the story. To imagine for just a moment that you are, are right there. You're, you're watching what was taking place because... Being transparent with you this morning, I, I would hear people over the years say, well, Jesus died for your sins on the cross. And I'd say, I wasn't even alive when Jesus died on the cross. How does what he did 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me today? I wasn't there hurling abuse at Jesus. I wasn't living before he was taken to the cross. I wasn't mocking him. I wasn't making fun of Jesus. How did Jesus do that for me? How does this event that took place 2,000 years ago affect my life? It affects your life because what you do with Jesus right now not only affects today, but it affects your eternity as well. What you do with Jesus. And there, there's no neutral ground once you come face to face with the gospel you cannot remain neutral you're either for Jesus or you are against Jesus and in the text that we just studied you've got a handful of people a multitude of people that were adamantly opposed to Jesus and you've also got a handful of people that were following him. He breathed his last and they were sitting there watching. They were following Jesus. When he breathed his last, this centurion. He perhaps even had blood from Jesus on his clothing. On his hands. He, he, he watched it. He watched him cruci being crucified and he said, Truly this man is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the, the Savior of the world. You see, it's not by coincidence or happenstance that you're here today. God sent me here today to tell you this. That he loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, we tend to skip over that verse, but it says that, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. But that the world through Him, that is Jesus, might be saved. God loves you today. God knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you intimately better than you know yourself. He knows that you're right here at this specific time for a specific purpose. He knows that you're being presented with the euangelion, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And yet before we can understand the good news, we have to understand the condition that we're in apart from it. The Bible says this, that... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you and that's this preacher this morning. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 
But praise God, hallelujah, while we were yet sinners, the Bible said that Christ died for us. That's what we've just looked at, the crucifixion. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Hallelujah, praise God, amen. That's the good news today. That's the good news not only today, but this Thanksgiving season. That's the good news that you and I can cherish, that we can cling to. Because the only thing that will overcome this sin disease that we have, we're all about COVID now. And yes, it's an awful, awful virus. We're all about that, but, but sin is worse. And the only vaccine that you can get to, to protect you from sin is Jesus. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the hope for today. That's the hope of the world. And right now as you've heard that good news, the devil is trying everything within his power to get you to believe a lie. He's whispering in your ear at this very moment saying God could never forgive you for that. You think God could forgive you for that sin that you've committed? You've been living with, without God for all these years? You think He's going to take you back now? You think you can run back to God and you've been living the way you've been living? No, everybody doesn't know the way you've been living, but you know how you've been living. And you really think that God's going to accept you? Absolutely. 100% certain that He'll accept you. Because His grace is still being extended. And today you can still run to Jesus. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes. And it's almost Thanksgiving. We're, we're starting to think about Christmas already. We've not even eaten the turkey. We're thinking about presents that we've got to buy. And getting out in this crazy mess. And all the gifts we've got to get. And the money we've got to spend. We're thinking about that. Even this morning maybe you're thinking about that. But above all of that, in the next Amazon order that you need to place, Jesus is what you need. And Jesus is what I need. Jesus is sufficient. He satisfies the deepest longing of the soul. And it's my hope and prayer today that if you've not yet trusted Him, that today will be the day of salvation for you. And if you have trusted Jesus, that you'll recognize just how much you have to be thankful for. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.